0: Aren't you glad we can run to Christ when we are discouraged or fearful or worn out? I'm thinking of writing another hymn called, I Crawl to Christ, Uh, or better yet, Christ runs to me. Uh, Sometimes we're so worn out we can't even hardly get there, and uh, thank the Lord for His mercy. Well, I don't know how many of you uh, were here at the time, but I was… Uh, here at Calvary about 10 years ago. We did a hymn service in the evening, and uh, I would introduce a hymn, and then we'd sing it together. And I'll never forget, uh, I arrived, and when I first saw Ron Hamilton, who was uh, here and helping with music at the time, he, he looked me in the face and he said, so have you ever sat on my lap? And I, I was kind of taken aback by the question and told him I had never had that privilege. Apparently, what he was asking me is, you know, as a kid, did I ever meet him and uh, take a picture or something? It it was just kind of the creepiest, funniest question. Uh, But by the end of the night, I sat on his lap and we took a picture. Uh, So it's very good to be back today. And uh, we're going to be in Psalm 55, if you'll turn over there. Uh, I've been looking forward to studying this together with you. While you're turning, uh, let me just mention quickly… On um, a PowerPoint, I have uh, some, some uh, resources that we've uh, brought to make available to you. Um, in addition, to, I, I pastored for 25 years, uh, but now I'm doing full-time missions work, and uh, I, I praise the Lord for the privilege. I just get to beat the drum of the Great Commission week after week all over the country and then several uh, international trips a year. I'm actually going to be talking about that more next week. Uh, but we have some resources available in the lobby, and um, if those would be a help to you, there's, there's some books. Uh, the most recent one is called Theology That Sticks. It's just on, on the importance of hymns. Uh, here's the reality. People forget sermons, uh, but hymns stick. So uh, the importance of hymns from Scripture, I'm not talking about old hymns or new hymns. I'm just talking about good doctrinal hymns, old and new uh, somebody looked at that cover once and said, I thought it said theology that stinks. Um, we probably could write that book too, but that's not what this one is. Um, beyond, beyond those resources, there's the devotional books, uh, gospel meditations for men or women or young adults or children. Uh, the Lord has allowed those to be used. That might be a good beginning for your year, 31-day devotional on a variety of topics. But we have two new resources. One is gospel meditations on the Psalms. And uh, you'll be hearing one of those uh, kind of ideas today from Psalm 55. And then we're really excited about a new recording. I don't know if you can read uh, the title of it, but it's it's called Shout Out for Joy. And uh, it's a new recording that we've put out. And it's not like anything we've done in the past. It's uh, a little bit more expressive. And the instrumentation is a, is a little bit more contemporary. And not everyone will love it, but we feel like it actually is a good representation of the kind of worship we sing in the Psalms, where there is sometimes, you know, there's sorrow, but sometimes there is shout out for joy or clap your hands before the Lord. Uh, So we're excited about that. It's only available as a CD right now. It will be streaming eventually, but we have some of those resources available uh, at a table in the lobby. My friend Paul Q uh, works with us and does operations. He's a great uh, songwriter himself, and he performs on, on uh, this album several times, and he's uh, here today to make some of that available to you. Well, Psalm 55 is uh, perhaps a psalm that doesn't get a lot of attention, except for a soundbite kind of at the end of the psalm. Everybody loves to quote Psalm 55:22. I love to quote Psalm 55:22. Cast your burden on the Lord... And he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. What an encouraging verse. Uh, It reminds us of 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your cares on him because he cares for you. So we take this verse and and we're encouraged by it. It's a positive verse. But frankly, we, we rip it out of context. We do that a lot in the Psalms. We look for a really good promise, you know, something joyful, Uh, But we take it away from the rest of the chapter, the rest of the psalm, and and we're missing something. By way of illustration, I want to show you kind of a dark, grainy picture. I don't know how how well you can see this, but there's a guy, hands in his pockets. He's standing in front of a door. It's not a very high-quality picture, uh, but he's just standing in front of a door. And uh, I actually have some better pictures than that. This is my daughter and uh, my oldest daughter, Rebecca. Rebecca. When she finished high school, we got to take a daddy-daughter trip, did a mission uh, trip, and then we went to Paris. And as we're walking around Paris late at night, we saw all these cool doors. So she would get pictures in front of those doors. Uh, I have four daughters. I feel like we should just pray for me right now. Um, Rebecca is now my favorite because she's expecting. So girls, you have a chance to come back in the future. Uh, our first granddaughter is on the way, but here we are, just taking pictures in front of doors. Well, why is that so significant? And especially this picture. You know, here, here's this guy standing in front of a door. Yawn. Oh, but but I've cropped it, and you're missing the context. It's a picture I saw first when I was a teenager, and it's actually a breathtaking picture. The man is standing in front of a door, casually putting his hands in his pockets but there are waves that are coming around him that if it were not for that lighthouse, he would be washed away. And what we don't see here is shortly afterwards, he heard the roar and he, and he opened the door and ran back inside, or he probably still would have been washed away by the water that came around it. The story behind the picture, it's a, it's a French lighthouse, and um, the government was in the process of automating all of their lighthouses. So instead of having a a manager like that that would work there and and do it like they had done it for centuries, uh, they were going to turn all of that into computer, animated, however they do it, electrical. So they hired someone to go on a helicopter and take pictures of all these lighthouses. And the guy heard the helicopter, and he went outside for a look, no idea that a big wave was coming and just an amazing picture that is one of the most uh, shared photographs and, and framed and put on people's walls all over the world. Well, this psalm reminds me, th- this picture reminds me of Psalm 55. You know, if we just crop out the rest of it and look at verse 22, it's encouraging. All right, Psalm 55:22 will show up on uh, greeting cards. Or uh, people will decorate their homes with it. And, you know, there's a pretty picture with, what, a dandelion. Here's, here's one with the ocean. You can find all kinds of beautiful images, but we're missing something. And actually, Psalm 5522 is going to be so much more encouraging to you if you read the verses around it, if, if you see some of the storm that's coming in. So, David says you can cast your burdens on the Lord, but the rest of the psalm is, is the waves. The rest of the psalm is the danger, the frustration, the anxiety. This is a beautiful psalm, but it's, it's kind of gritty. I think my, it might be a good one to, to begin a new year, all right? This isn't going to be a, a new year uh, sermon that tells you, you know, do better, uh, try harder, you know, chase your dreams, and and you can do this. It's actually a New Year's sermon that says, sometimes life is just really, really hard, gritty, agonizing. You know, sometimes we're worn out. Sometimes uh, we have oppressors outside of us, and, and then we have fears and anxieties, and we feel like, man, my worst enemy is me. How do we deal with that kind of trouble? How do we deal with the depression that is a real part of life? And I think Psalm 55 gives us a good picture of that. Before we read it together, I want to just kind of give you a snapshot, some things to look for. Uh, Before reading text, I've started telling people, hey, just just be on the lookout for some things. And then you read with understanding, and then the sermon is almost over because you're already thinking. Uh, What's happening in Psalm 55? Well, Psalm 55, it's an inspired prayer. God gave us the psalms. They're they're songs, but they're also prayers. The reason I mention that is what we're going to read is David speaking to God, and he's complaining. You know, he's unhappy. He's confused, borderline making accusations, and you say, well, are you allowed to talk to God like that? And actually, he gave us these inspired psalms that tell us that you can be that real with God. This is teaching us how to pray in certain circumstances. It is so symbolic and vivid. I mean, it's, it's just beautiful, but it, it's beautiful in kind of a minor key. Uh, this is, it's pretty dark. Most of it is pretty dark. It has so much raw emotion, and I want you to notice that when we read it. It's very gritty. All right, this is not one of those happy, sing to the Lord, shout out for joy uh, this is David groaning. This is David absolutely heartbroken. So it has both lamentation and imprecation. Those are big words, but lamentation, psalms of lament are the sad ones, the ones we kind of ignore, to be honest. Does anybody have a guess out of 150 psalms, how many of them are psalms of lament? How many of them are confused or sad or angry? Any idea? 60 out of 150, 40% of the psalms are songs of lament. And what that means is that, that, that life is hard. Sometimes we come to church and we think, wow, we need to sing happy songs because people might arrive depressed. We need to cheer them up. Actually, when people arrive depressed, we might need to sorrow with them. We, we sing Bible songs or, or biblical-based songs that tell them that actually God understands. We don't just, you know, try to paper over your problems. Uh, The Lord understands how difficult life is. We don't live in Eden, and creation is groaning, and we are groaning. Even Christ was called a man of sorrows who was acquainted with with grief. I had a professor uh, during a some extended education I recently finished, a man named Dale Ralph Davis, and he said, God gave us the Psalms of lament to tell us that we're not crazy. You know, if you're depressed, you're not broken. If you're discouraged, if you're full of anxiety, you know, you're, you're human. Elijah felt that way. David felt that way. And, and God actually kind of speaks your language and says, hey, let me, let me tell you how to work through that. And then imprecation is, and then precatory prayer is when the psalmist says, God, get that guy. Judge him. You know, bring his own devices down on his own head. Let the wicked fall into the pit that they have dug for me. And Christians get a little bit uncomfortable with that. Are we really supposed to pray for God to bring judgment on the wicked? Well, let me just put it this way. If if we feel like we are more charitable than the Scriptures, then we need to adjust our thinking. The Bible's right all the time, right? So when the Bible says that we pray for justice, don't, don't let that trouble you. You know, imagine, imagine that uh, your family was the victim of a terrible crime. Imagine that a loved one is murdered. You're going to pray for justice, and, and you might in kindness pray, now, Lord, bring this person to justice, and then if you'll save them, I'll, I'll be pleased. But do bring justice. You know, when, when Osama bin Laden was killed, most of you probably didn't weep. Most of you felt like, okay, finally justice has been brought. And the Bible calls for that with these imprecations. And, and we don't need to be embarrassed about them. God is not needing us to kind of explain those away. You know, God's not a crazy uncle, and we need to like, you know, tell people He's not really like that most of the time. Actually, He's a God of justice, and it's okay for us to desire it and to pray for it. Finally, I love this psalm, and others like it, because it teaches us how to pray on our darkest days. I had a friend when I was a church planter in Ohio. He had lost his wife to cancer, very close friend of ours. And uh, George was struggling, and I met with him. I'm like, George, how are you? You know, how are you doing? He says, honestly, Pastor, I am, I'm struggling. I'm lonely, and I'm confused, and I'm, I'm kind of mad. And of course, I can't tell God all of that stuff. I said, George, actually, God already knows all of that stuff, and, and you, can, you can pray that way. Look at the Psalms. Look at Psalm 55. I tell people it's okay to pray angry, just keep praying. The problem is when your anger or confusion or distress or depression keeps you from praying, then you're in a bad place. But when you're in a really dark situation, you call out to God like we see here. So with all of that by way of introduction, let's read Psalm 55, look for those themes, and then I'll make some quick observations for us, and hopefully by the end, uh, you'll be very encouraged. Uh, but first, we have to go through some waves. Psalm 55, this is the Word of God, inspired, and errant, profitable, sufficient for us. Give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not yourself from my plea for mercy. Attend to me and answer me. I am restless in my complaint, and I moan because of the noise of the enemy because of the oppression of the wicked. For they drop trouble upon me, and in anger they bear a grudge against me. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me, and horror overwhelms me. And I say, oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. Yes, I would wander far away. I would lodge in the wilderness, Selah. I would hurry to find a shelter from the raging wind and tempest. Now, here's some imprecation. Destroy, O Lord, Divide their tongues, for I see violence and strife in the city. Day and night they go around it on its walls, and iniquity and trouble are within it. Ruin is in its midst. Oppression and fraud do not depart from its marketplace. For it is not an enemy who taunts me. Then I could bear it. It is not an adversary who deals insolently with me. Then I could hide from him. But it is you, a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. We used to take sweet counsel together within God's house. We walked in the throng. Let death steal over them. Let them go down to Sheol alive. For evil is in their dwelling place and in their heart. So he's pouring out all of these complaints. He's specifically been hurt by a friend or a group of friends who have been disloyal to him. He's in agony. And finally, for the first time, really, in verse 16, he's going to turn to God and say, Now, with all of this trouble, I call to you. So look at verse 16. But I call to God, and the Lord will save me. Evening and morning and at noon, I utter my complaint and moan, and he hears my voice. He redeems my soul in safety from the battle that I wage, for many are arrayed against me. God will give ear and humble them, he who is enthroned from of old. Selah, because they do not change and do not fear God. Now, after all of his complaining, he calls out to God, he says, God will hear me, God will help me, God will deliver me, and, and now you want him to live happily forever after. But that's not the way the Psalms work, and it's really not the way life works. You know, you're, you're discouraged, and then you pray, and yes, I understand that, that prayer can bring the peace that passes understanding, but you can also get back in the ditch of discouragement, uh, back in the slew of despond the way Bunyan would describe it. And even after his prayer, now in verse 20, he comes back to this unfaithful friend. So he prays, and then he says, oh, but that guy, he's still struggling. So verse 20, "'My companion stretched out his hand against his friends. He violated his covenant. His speech was smooth as butter, yet war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords.'" We learn from David's prayer that even when you call out to God in your distress, it doesn't mean that, you know, the clouds part, the sun shines in, and, you know, you just, you go on your merry way. Some of you have experienced darkness, and you say, man, I pray, and and I I feel momentary relief, but then I'm, I'm back in the dark again. Right, that's what Psalm 55 says. David experienced, and yet finally he calls out to the Lord. and, and here is, you know, here's our tweetable statement. Here's the beauty that we enjoy from Psalm 55:22. Amid all of this distress, finally David says, "Cast your burdens on the Lord, and He will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved." But you, O God, will cast them down into the pit of destruction. Men of blood and treachery shall not live out half their days. But I will trust in you. I'm going to trust in you despite how I feel, despite what they say, despite all of my troubles. You know, prayer doesn't just make troubles evaporate, but Lord, I'm going, going to trust you anyway. I want to make just very brief observations from this, and really the, the lion's share of the work has already been done. But let's just walk through the psalm quickly. David was surrounded by foes without, I mean outside of him. There were oppressors outside of him. And when he calls out to God early, that the gist of it is, God, notice my afflictions. You know, God, are you seeing this? He uses language where, where he says, I am restless. My soul is not at ease. I'm not okay. God, do you see this? He calls out to God. He says, give ear to me. Don't hide from me, which is a pretty cheeky thing to pray. God, are you hiding from me? You know, I, I need you right now. We're just saying, Lord, I need you but, Lord, I feel like I need you, and are you playing with me? How come you're not helping me? Are you you hiding? God is not hiding ever. All right, He's always with us. I hear Christians sometimes say, you know, Lord, please be with brother so-and-so. You don't even have to ask Him to be with brother so-and-so. He is with them. He will never leave them nor forsake them maybe pray, Lord, remind brother so-and-so that you are with him. But there are times where you feel abandoned, where you feel like God is not being attentive. So David says, God, stop hiding from me. Pay attention to me. Answer me. And again, we see that all through the Psalms if we're paying attention. How long, O Lord? How long until you answer me? Or, Lord, I'm having such trouble, and then wicked people are prospering. Why do the wicked prosper? I think of that when I watch the Ohio State Buckeyes lose to Michigan. Why do the wicked prosper? There's inequity in the world. David calls out to God. The reasons he gives, he says, there's noise, there's oppression. He says people are, it's like they're hurling, they're hurling insults, they're hurling uh, aggression at me when it says hurling when it describes like, like they're they're above me and they're dropping bombs on me. Uh, when I was in a public high school back in the day, uh, we had to read a book called *The Lord of the Flies*. And there's a scene where they they kill a boy by dropping a big a big boulder on his head. You know he's walking below and and they get him. When David says these people are hurling their Insults and oppression against me. That's where my mind goes. They have grudges against me. He says, God, notice me. And then he says, God, repay my afflictors. We're jumping down to verses 9 through 11. So the trouble in verses 1 through 3 is from outside. All right, we don't know exactly the circumstance. You know, is he really facing armies or is he, you know, facing kind of an Absalom-type uh, coup You know, we we don't know. I I think maybe God doesn't tell us because He wants it to be applicable to whatever situation we find ourselves in. But He says, I have enemies around me, and I'm going to call on you to to bring justice. Their their sin is everywhere. It's all over the city. It's like they're walking on the walls. Their, Their sin is incessant. It's nonstop. It's overt. They don't even try to hide it. Uh, ubiquitous. I I love the word. It's a big confusing word. It's it's everywhere. He's describing, I think he's describing Jerusalem, and he says, man, there's just so many wicked people all over here. He's going to actually cry out and say, God, get me out of here. David was surrounded by foes without. That's difficult. But many of you know even more difficult than getting oppression or accusation from outsiders, is what happens in your own heart, in your own mind, in your own memory. David was tormented by fears within. After he describes his oppressors in verses 1 through 3, and verses 4 and 5, he describes what's happening in his own heart. Let's read this again. Okay, so, Verse 4, he's he's kind of internalizing. He's looking at what's happening inside. He says, my heart is in anguish. This is some some of the most intense language we have for human suffering in all of the Bible. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me. Horror overwhelms me. God, I, my problem's not just out there. My problem is me. My thoughts are so dark. My feelings are so dark. I'm afraid. I'm angry. I'm confused. I'm horrified. I'm terrified. Anguish. There may be some who are sitting here today and say, Man, I've never felt like that in my life. But there are some, and you're you're reading the Bible and saying, wow, I kind of thought I was the only one, especially because we can come to church, and we kind of put on appearances. You know, you're in a really dark place, and you come to church, and people say, hey, how's it going? Good. Praise God. Everything's fine. Are you good? Of course. I remember… Again, when I was pastoring in Ohio, a buddy of mine just said, hey, you know, PC, how are you doing? And I lied. I mean, I was not okay. But I lied. I just said, like, yeah, I'm, I'm good. He said, whew, well, that's a relief. Because if you were discouraged, I don't know what the rest of us would do. I felt like, yeah, that, that never happens, Fred. You yeah. He's troubled. He's dealing with all of this internal anguish and anxiety, and we're jumping ahead. And I know we're kind of dealing with it thematically, not uh, all in a row. But then verses 6 through 8, he uses his imagination. He says, with all of this trouble outside and inside, I wish I could just fly away. Oh, that I had wings like a dove, and I I would just bolt. What I really want to do is get out of this mess. Now, you know, we read that, and we know what he says, but we know what he means. But I say, think of this through David's eyes 3,000 years ago where flight was not a possibility. You know, we actually can get in the car and, and get away, or we can jump on a plane and evacuate. You know, David's using his imagination. He says, man, wouldn't it be great? Just look at that bird. Just can, can bolt. I wish I could do that. Once out of the situation, and ironically, on your own, you can compare it to Psalm 84. But in Psalm 84, David is in exile, and he's in the wilderness, and he says, I just wish I were like a bird that I could go to the temple. Even even a bird can make its nest up in the temple, and that's how badly I want to be in Jerusalem. But in Psalm 55, he's in Jerusalem saying, Man, I just want to get out of here. He has enemies outside of him. He's tormented by his own thoughts and feelings. And then we come to what maybe is the darkest part. David was abandoned by a false friend. Again, he's going to to describe this twice, and there's more lamentation, there's more complaint. Again, we don't know exactly the circumstance. Is it Absalom, his son? Is it Ahithophel? Is it somebody else? I don't know. Read again, though, verse 12. It is not an enemy who taunts me, then I could bear it. I mean, I expect the Philistines to hate my guts, but it's a fellow Jew. It's somebody I used to pray with. It's somebody I thought I could rely upon. He's talking about friendly fire, and most of us can understand that might be in a personal relationship, might even be in a church relationship. I'll, I'll tell you, having pastored 25 years, my biggest discouragement was not the ACLU, you know, or a, or a godless agenda in Washington. I expect the world to hate the church, but it actually sucks the life out of me to see Christians fighting Christians. There's so much of that. I mean, it happens everywhere, but in conservative churches, and conservative movements, it feels like it happens with, with even a, a greater regularity, and it's actually a badge of honor that we're so quick to criticize and fight and cancel. And listen, I, I don't mean to be judgy. I've been that guy. I've been the one that is, is just looking for something to critique and write off that church or write off that guy or write off that denomination and just picking at everybody. Say, man, I, ex- I expect Goliath to want to cut off my head, but there's fellow believers who are after me. It says, notice their duplicity, notice their hypocrisy when we have fighting from within. That, that is that is exhausting. You've seen Princess Bride, right? Uh, you know the machine that sucks life out of you? That's what David's describing. Uh, he just didn't know it. But I feel like when we see Christians critiquing Christians, it just has that like, ah, oh, come on. I tell people when, when we're so quick to fight and critique each other, it reminds me of World War II. Can you imagine World War II, America-trained soldiers… We, we sail them across the Atlantic to go fight in Europe, and when they get there, they invade the British. And you would say, what? Why, why are you invading the British? They're our allies. Go, go fight the Nazis, right? But too often, God's people fight God's people. And David said, whatever the circumstance was, there was somebody that I counted on, loved, prayed with, and they turned on me. They stabbed him in the back. So he says, if it was an enemy, I could bear it, but it's not. Verse 13, it is you, a man my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. We used to take sweet counsel together within God's house. We walked in the throng. He's going to pray for this person to be judged. Again, verse 20, he comes back to this this theme. My companion stretched out his hand against his friends. He violated his covenant His speech was smooth as butter, but war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, but they were drawn swords. Some of you say, man, I've been through something like that. I've had a family member that that stabbed me in the back, or I've, I've had a Christian, maybe even a Christian leader, but you have somebody that has done something that just feels so treacherous. Aren't you glad that the Bible gets you you know, the Bible understands, and, and whatever you're dealing with, the Bible actually, you know, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't dismiss it, but it says, yeah, that is heartbreaking. In fact, I can't read this passage and not think of Jesus. You know, Jesus expected to be opposed by, by the Pharisees, the scribes, the chief priests, the Sadducees, but when He is sold by Judas… He is denied by Peter. He's abandoned by all the disciples, and they all flee. That, that stings. When Peter denies Him the third time, remember Jesus looked across the courtyard, and they, they just meet eyes. They didn't have to say a thing, but Jesus gets it. You know, we'll, we'll never be as disappointed or forsaken or turned on worse than Jesus was, and He took it, took it graciously. And again, we have an imprecation where David says, Lord, repay these people. There's actually kind of a poetic justice. He says, these people who are sneaks, let death sneak up on them. Uh, Let them them have some recompense. Finally, David was desperate for God's deliverance. and He comes to this, I, I call it resolution. He he is reminding himself. It, it's like he will pray sometimes. I think it's Psalm 42, 43. He says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? He talks to himself, like, hey David, what's wrong with you? Rally your faith. God hasn't changed, he hasn't left you. So he turns to God, he says, I call on God, and the Lord will save me. Now, the call on God may be groaning, complaining. You know, borderline accusing, but he's still talking to God. That's a good thing. So, he's talking to God. The Lord will save me. Evening, morning, noon, I utter my complaint and I moan. That's his prayer language right now. He's complaining and moaning. But God hears his voice. He redeems my soul in safety from the battle that I wage for many are arrayed against me. So, even when he's encouraged, he says, but I still have a lot of people that want to kill me. It's still not all Okay. God will give ear and humble them, he was enthroned from of old. So, David says, God will act when I call. And actually, verse 22 is almost a miniature sermon. David's not only talking to himself, but he's talking to us. We come to the beautiful text that we began the sermon with, "'Cast your burden on the Lord.'" David's not talking just to David. He's saying, this is my experience, and some of you are going through the same kind of turmoil, and now I'm going to urge you under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and and with, with bloody lips and a headache and scars and disappointments, I'm going to tell you, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you you can't sustain you your friends even the loyal friends can't really ultimately sustain you but the lord will sustain you he will never permit the righteous to be moved he may permit you to be slandered he may permit you to be depressed and discouraged and weary and but he won't permit you to be lost He will preserve you. He will keep you. You know, Jesus would say, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Or He would say that His sheep are in His hand. No one can pluck them out of my hand or my Father's hand. I told you I wrote a hymn text called, I Run to Christ. And better than that would be Christ Runs to Me because sometimes I'm so worn out I I can barely move. Uh, wrote a hymn, His Robes for Mine. And uh, the refrain of that says, I cling to Christ. What would be better than I cling to Christ? Christ clings to me. I mean, if my hope is on my grip, I'm in big trouble. But He holds on to me. He clings to me. He will not allow me to be moved. Not finally. Finally. Not completely. David says, God will act when I call, and it doesn't make all my problems go away, but I have to remind myself of that. I, I need faith that is gritty. I need faith that works on my worst days. That's what David's describing. And then he says, you need the same thing. So, so we take that beautiful statement, and we, we pan out. And we see the context and we see, "Wow, that is a much deeper promise than I ever imagined. It, it's not Pollyanna. It's, it's real life, even when life is hard or broken or agonizing. Then God will ultimately bring justice. There's a sense of vindication in verse 23. "You, O God, will cast them down. It may not be in this lifetime. All right, we we may not see the wicked judged in our lifetime. We may not see the righteous rewarded in time. But the day is coming where God will set everything right. You know, like we sing in uh, "I heard the bells on Christmas Day." God isn't dead. He's not asleep. The wrong will fail. The right will prevail. God wins, but we just have to have a long view. It may not be something that we get to see while walking on earth. Eventually, God will cast them down into the pit of destruction. Men of blood and treachery shall not live out their days, but I will trust in you. I love words. I'm I'm a word nerd. David comes to a resolution, and Resolution can mean two things. It could mean that everything is resolved, everything is fixed. You know, the minor key has, has resolved. You know, we kind of all wait when we hear something, we wait for, like, okay, there's a sustaining note, and then, ah, that, no, that feels better, that sounds better. But there's also a sense of the word resolution that means I am resolved, I am determined. It's the word we use for New Year's resolutions. I will trust in you. You know, your New Year's resolutions might be to lose some weight. You pray for me, I will pray for you. Might be, you know, to read through the Bible in a year, that would be great. On the other hand, it's not a bad thing to slow down and just take your time and don't feel pressure to, you know, to, to accomplish. Just, just feed your soul. You, you might have a, a bunch of resolutions, but I, I'll tell you, maybe the best one for you would be just the end of Psalm 55. I will trust in you. That's my resolution. I, I'm not really going to use my energy and drive to make myself better. I just want to trust God more in 2024. I want to trust God more because He's the answer to my problems. I'm not the answer to my problems. So, Lord, help me. I'm still ticked off, and I'm still discouraged, but help me, and help me trust you more. Powerful passage. Ah, it's not happy, but it's hopeful. It tells us the reality of pain. We live in a broken world. The Bible doesn't deny that fact. It tells us the value of the Psalms. This, the Psalms are teaching us how to pray, how to think, how to feel, and they deal with every feeling that, that life brings our way, is represented in the book of Psalms. Spend some time feeding your soul in the Psalms, praying the Psalms. We read about the faithfulness of God, even when everything seems wrong. God is not hiding. God will answer. God will vindicate in time. We have to end with the invitation of Jesus. Jesus, who Himself was dealing with sorrow, was dealing with unfaithful friends, was dealing with everything we deal with, sickness and hunger and disappointment and poverty, Jesus Jesus felt it. He's touched with every feeling of weakness that we have, and He calls to us so beautifully in Matthew eleven twenty eight. "'Come to Me, all who labor and are heavy laden, all who are oppressed by enemies without, all who are terrorized by anguish and anxiety within, come to Me. I will give you rest.'" ultimately our hope is Jesus. There might be some here today, and I hope that you're encouraged that the Bible deals with the reality of pain and cancer and disappointment. But the answer isn't just, you know, pray a super prayer and everything will be fine. The answer ultimately is you need to get to Jesus. If you can't run there, crawl there, or just sit there, but say, Jesus, I need help we so often preach the gospel as Jesus is is removing our sin. And that's true. You know, the primary work of Christ is that He came to be a sacrifice for sinners. But when He calls in Matthew 11 and says, you who are worn out, I'll give you rest… Or when he calls to the Samaritan woman and he says, I'm not going to just use this water to to wash you. I'm going to use it to satisfy you. You're so thirsty. I can meet that need. Jesus meets our sin need, but he meets every need that we have. We need Jesus. If you don't yet know him as Savior, I'm urging you, yes, you need your sins forgiven, but you also need your wounds healed and you need need your anxiety settled, you need peace, you need rest, you need Jesus. He is a holistic Savior. He deals with your soul, but he, He deals with all of the problems of your life. You need Jesus. And if you've been a Christian for the last 50, 60 years, I have news for you. You need Jesus. I need Jesus. Whatever circumstance you find yourself in. Get to Christ. Determine, Lord, help me to keep believing. Help my unbelief. But, but I'm going to believe. I'm going to get to Jesus, and give me that peace and rest that I'm lacking. Lord, I pray that in your mercy, you will use your word. Even this fairly dark psalm, I pray that we'll be encouraged by the realness of it, but also by the hope that Points us away from ourselves and our troubles and our worries. It says that ultimately God will answer and deliver. Lord, there's a large group of people here today. I don't know their hurts. You do. Minister to them by your Spirit through your word, through the gospel. I pray that you will win today, that you will uh, bring healing and peace and help bring hope to the hopeless. We thank you. Improve on this message when you use it in our hearts.